of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maugham. Chapter 59, Segment 1. Philip passed the evening wretchedly. He had told his landlady that he would not be in, so there was nothing for him to eat, and he had to go to Gaddy's for dinner. Afterwards he went back to his rooms, but Griffiths on the floor above him was having a party, and the noisy merriment made his own misery more hard to bear. He went to a music hall, but it was Saturday night and there was standing room only. After half an hour of boredom, his legs grew tired and he went home. He tried to read, but he could not fix his attention, and yet it was necessary that he should work hard. His examination in biology was in a little more than a fortnight, and though it was easy, he had neglected his lectures of late and was conscious that he knew nothing. It was only Aviva, however, and he felt sure that in a fortnight he could find out enough about the subject to scrape through. He had confidence in his intelligence. He threw aside his book and gave himself up to thinking deliberately of the matter which was in his mind all the time. He reproached himself bitterly for his behavior that evening. Why had he given her the alternative that she must dine with him or else never see him again? Of course she refused. He should have allowed for her pride. He had burnt his ships behind him. It would not be so hard to bear if he thought that she was suffering now, but he knew her too well. She was perfectly indifferent to him. If he hadn't been a fool, he would have pretended to believe her story. He ought to have had the strength to conceal his disappointment and the self-control to master his temper. He could not tell why he loved her. He had read of the idealization that takes place in love, but he saw her exactly as she was. She was not amusing or clever. Her mind was common. She had a vulgar shrewdness which revolted him. She had no gentleness nor softness. As she would have put it herself, she was on the make. What aroused her admiration was a clever trick played on an unsuspecting person. To do something always gave her satisfaction. Philip laughed savagely as he thought of her gentility and the refinement which, with which she ate her food. She could not bear a coarse word. So far as her limited vocabulary reached, she had a passion for euphemisms, and she scented indecency everywhere. She never spoke of trousers, but referred to them as nether garments. She thought it slightly indelicate to blow her nose, and did it in a deprecating way. She was dreadfully anemic, and suffered from the dyspepsia which accompanies that ailing. Philip was repelled by her flat breasts and narrow hips, and he hated the vulgar way in which she did her hair. He loathed and despised himself for loving her. The fact remained that he was helpless. He felt just as he had felt sometimes in the hands of a bigger boy at school. He had struggled against the superior strength till his own strength was gone, and he was rendered quite powerless. He remembered the peculiar languor he had felt in his limbs, almost as though he were paralyzed, so that he could not help himself at all. He might have been dead. He felt just that same weakness now. He loved the woman so that he knew he had never loved before. He did not mind her faults of person or of character. He thought he loved them too. At all events, they meant nothing to him. It did not seem himself that was concerned. He felt that he had been seized by some strange force that moved him against his will, contrary to his interests. And because he had a passion for freedom, he hated the chains which bound him. He laughed at himself when he thought how often he had longed to experience the overwhelming passion. He cursed himself because he had given weight to it. He thought of the beginnings. 
Nothing of all of this would have happened if he had not gone into the shop with Dunsford. The whole thing was his own fault. Except for his ridiculous vanity, he would never have troubled himself with the ill-mannered slut. At all events, the occurrences of that evening had finished the whole affair. Unless he was lost to all sense of shame, he could not go back. He wanted passionately to get rid of the love that obsessed him. It was degrading and hateful. He must prevent himself from thinking of her. In a little while, the anguish he suffered must grow less. His mind went back to the past. He wondered whether Emily Wilkinson or Fanny Price had endured on his account anything like the torment that he suffered now. He felt a pain of remorse. I didn't know back then what it was like, he said to himself. End of segment one. Chapter 59, Segment 2 He slept very badly. The next day was Sunday, and he worked at his biology. He sat with the book in front of him, forming the words with his lips in order to fix his attention, but he could remember nothing. He found his thoughts going back to Mildred every minute, and he repeated to himself the exact words of the quarrel they had had. He had to force himself back to his book. He went out for a walk. The streets on the south side of the river were dingy enough on weekdays, but there was an energy a coming and going which gave them a sordid vivacity. But on Sundays, with no shops open, no carts in the roadway, silent and depressed, they were indescribably dreary. Philip thought that day would never end, but he was so tired that he slept heavily, and when Monday came, he entered upon life with determination. Christmas was approaching, and a good many of the students had gone into the country for a short holiday between the two parts of the winter session, but Philip has, had refused his uncle's invitation to go down to Blackstable. He had given the approaching examination as an excuse, but in point of fact he had been unwilling to leave London and Mildred. He had neglected his work so much now that he had only a fortnight to learn what the curriculum allowed in three months for. He set to work seriously. He found it easier each day not to think of Mildred. He congratulated himself on his force of character. The pain he suffered was no longer anguish, but a sort of soreness, like what one might expect to feel if one had been thrown off a horse and, though no bones were broken, were bruised all over and shaken. Philip found that he was able to observe with curiosity the condition he had been in during the last few weeks. He analyzed his feelings with interest. He was a little amused at himself. One thing that struck him now was how little under those circumstances it mattered what one thought. The system of personal philosophy, which had given him great satisfaction to devise, had not served him. He was puzzled by this. End of segment two. But sometimes in the street he would see a girl who looked so like Mildred that his heart seemed to stop beating. Then he could not help himself. He hurried on to catch up to her, eager and anxious, only to find that it was a total stranger. Men came back from the country, and he went with Dunsford to have tea at an ABC shop. The well-known uniform made him so miserable that he could not speak. The thought came to him that perhaps she had been transferred to another establishment of the firm for which she worked, and he might suddenly find himself face to face with her. The idea filled him with panic. 
so that he feared Dunsford would see that something was the matter with him. He could not think of anything to say. He pretended to listen to what Dunsford was talking about. The conversation maddened him, and it was all he could do to prevent himself from crying out to Dunsford for heaven's sake to hold his tongue. Then came the day of his examination. Philip, when his turn arrived, went forward to the examiner's table with the utmost confidence. He answered three or four questions. Then they showed him various specimens. He had been to very few lectures, and as soon as he was asked about things which he could not learn from books, he was floored. He did what he could to hide his ignorance. The examiner did not insist, and soon his ten minutes were over. He felt certain that he had passed, but next day, when he went up to the examination buildings to see the results posted on the door, he was astounded not to find his number among those who had satisfied the examiners. In amazement, he read the list three times. Dunsford was with him. I say, I'm awfully sorry you're plowed, he said. He had just inquired Philip's number. Philip turned and saw by his radiant face that Dunsford had passed. Oh, it doesn't matter a bit, said Philip. I'm jolly glad you're all right. I shall go up again in July. End of segment three. Chapter 59, Segment 4 He was very anxious to pretend that he did not mind, and on their way back along the embankment insisted on talking of indifferent things. Dunsford good-naturedly wanted to discuss the causes of Philip's failure, but Philip was obstinately casual. He was horribly mortified, and the fact that Dunsford, whom he looked upon as a very pleasant but quite stupid fellow, had passed, made his own rebuff harder to bear. He had always been proud of his intelligence, and now he asked himself desperately whether he was not mistaken in the opinion he held of himself. In the three months of the winter session, the students who had joined in October had already shaken down into groups, and it was clear which were brilliant, which were clever or industrious, and which were rotters. Philip was conscious that his failure was a surprise to no one but himself. It was tea time, and he knew that a lot of men would be having tea in the basement of the medical school. Those who had passed the examination would be exultant. Those who disliked him would look at him with satisfaction, and the poor devils who had failed would sympathize with him in order to receive sympathy. His instinct was not to go near the hospital for a week, when the affair would be no more thought of, but because he hated so much to go just then, he went. He wanted to inflict suffering upon himself. He forgot for the moment his maxim of life to follow his inclinations with due regard for the policeman round the corner, or if he acted in accordance with it, there must be some strange morbidity in his nature which made him take a grim pleasure in self-torture. But later on, when he had endured the ordeal to which he forced himself, going out into the night after the noisy conversation in the smoking room, he was seized with a feeling of utter loneliness. He seemed to himself absurd and futile. He had an urgent need of consolation, and the temptation to see Mildred was irresistible. He thought bitterly that there was a small chance of consolation from her, but he wanted to see her even if he did not speak to her. After all, she was a waitress and would be obliged to serve him. She was the only person in the world he cared for. There was no use in hiding that fact from himself. Of course it would be humiliating to go back to the shop as though nothing had happened, but he had not much self-respect left. Though he would not confess it to himself, he had hoped each day that she would write to him, 
She knew that a letter addressed to the hospital would find him, but she had not written. It was evident that she cared nothing if she saw him again or not. End of segment four. Chapter 59, Segment 5 And he kept repeating to himself, I must see her, I must see her. The desire was so great that he could not give the time necessary to walk, but jumped in a cab. He was too thrifty to use one when it could possibly be avoided. He stood outside the shop for a minute or two. The thought came to him that perhaps she had left, and in terror he walked in quickly. He saw her at once. He sat down, and she came up to him. A cup of tea and a muffin, please, he ordered. He could hardly speak. He was afraid for a moment that he was going to cry. I almost thought you was dead, she said. She was smiling, smiling. She seemed to have forgotten completely the last scene which Philip had repeated to himself a hundred times. I thought if you'd wanted to see me, you'd write, he answered. I've got too much to do to think about writing letters. It seemed impossible for her to say a gracious thing. Philip cursed the fate which chained him to such a woman. She went away to fetch his tea. Would you like me to sit down for a minute or two, she said when she brought it. Yes. Where have you been all this time? I've been in London. I thought you'd gone away for the holidays. Why haven't you been in then? Philip looked at her with haggard, passionate eyes. Don't you remember that I said I never wanted to see you again? What are you doing now then? She seemed anxious to make him drink up the cup of his humiliation. But he never knew her well enough to know that she spoke at random. She hurt him frightfully and never even tried to. He did not answer. It was a nasty trick you played on me, spying on me like that. I always thought you was a gentleman in every sense of the word. Don't be beastly to me, Mildred. I can't bear it. You are a funny feller. I can't make you out. It's very simple. I'm such a blasted fool as to love you with all my heart and soul, and I know that you don't care two pence for me. If you had been a gentleman, I think you'd have come the next day and begged my pardon. She had no mercy. He looked at her neck and thought how he would like to jab it with a knife he had for his muffin. He knew enough anatomy to make pretty certain of getting the corduroyed artery, and at the same time he wanted to cover her pale, thin face with kisses. If only I could make you understand how frightfully I'm in love with you. You haven't begged my pardon yet. He grew very white. She felt that she had done nothing wrong on that occasion. She wanted him to humble himself. He was very proud. For one instant he felt inclined to tell her to go to hell, but he dared not. His passion made him abject. He was willing to submit to anything rather than not see her. I'm very sorry, Mildred. I beg your pardon. He had to force the words out. It was a horrible horrible effort. Now you said that I don't mind telling you that I wish I had come out with you that evening. I thought Miller was a gentleman, but I've discovered my mistake now. I soon sent him about his business. Philip gave a little gasp. Mildred, won't you come out with me tonight? Let's go and dine somewhere. Oh, I can't. My aunt will be expecting me home. I'll send her a wire. You can say you've been detained in the shop. She won't know any better. Oh, do come. For God's sake, I haven't seen you for so long, and I want to talk to you. She looked down at her clothes. Never mind about that. We'll go somewhere where it doesn't matter how you're dressed, and we'll go to a music hall afterwards. Please say yes. It would give me so much pleasure. 
She hesitated for a moment. He looked at her with pitifully appealing eyes. Well, I don't mind if I do. I haven't been out anywhere since I don't know how long. It was the greatest difficulty. He could prevent himself from seizing her hand there and then to cover it with kisses. End of segment five.